Hello, Aspies, and welcome to Inside the Asperger Studios, where I'm joined with Sarah Martin, sex coach from Lithuania, where we're going to answer all your questions about sex today. So, hello, Sarah. Hi, Reed. Thank you so much for having me here. That's a lovely introduction. No problem. Shall I say a little bit more about myself? Say a little bit more about yourself. Let these people know how you got to what you're doing today. Sure. So hi, everybody. My name is Sarah Martin. I'm a certified sex coach uh, and a sociologist. And I work exclusively with introverts, specifically introverted men. And it's been a bit of a journey getting to this point because I didn't start out my life thinking I'd like to be a sex coach or I'd like to work with introverts. Those things kind of found me as I was going through life. So I had, a, I had a moment when I was working in a corporate job in London a long time ago, feels like a lifetime ago, where I was totally burning out. And I asked myself, if you could do anything, like if money was no object, what would you actually like to spend your time doing? And the answer that kept coming to me was, well, to, to work with sex. I remember thinking, yeah, but you can't do that, can you? But I did a little bit of research and it turns out you can. And that's what I do now. So I think that's a fairly good synopsis of how I got to where I am today. Pretty, pretty interesting. Yeah. (laughs) All right. um, I bet you find it pretty interesting working with introverts and geeks and stuff because of the shyness barrier they have. I mean, Speaking to someone with Asperger's, I know there's that shyness where they're so afraid. It's taboo and they're shy. How do you manage to break that barrier with them? So I think shyness usually stems from a couple of sources. And the way that you can approach moving through this will depend on where that shyness comes from for you. And thinking about the people that I know on the spectrum, the Aspies that I know, one really common source of this shyness when it comes to sex and relationships tends to be this worry about, am I normal? Or is someone going to spot that I'm not normal? So one thing I've had come up with clients um, before are, are concerns about stims, for example. You know, what what is anybody going to think of me if they see me doing this? Are they just going to think I'm weird? And I, I find what I would suggest in that case is... <laughs> The way to have more enjoyable relationships, the way to to allow yourself to move beyond the shyness barrier, as you call it, is to begin them as you mean to go on. So it's it's kind of a little bit of a chicken and egg, right? So I'll say what I'm going to say, and then I can add more to it, which is, you know, as much as you can, try not to hide these parts of yourself that you worry about. And while that will turn some people off, some people will be like, oh, you know, that's not for me. If you think of it this way, that's actually a good thing if those people get turned off at that early stage, because then you wouldn't have to spend any energy holding back those parts of yourself like you would if you went on to have a relationship with that person. So I think a lot of it is a big journey of self-acceptance and the most practical way to get started with that is to spend time identifying what it is that you actually want. I don't know if this is the case for, for you, Reed, or some of the people that you know, but I find often with the men that I work with, for some of them, when I ask that question, what do you want? It's almost like they haven't even really considered that what they want is important. There's all this time spent thinking about, well, what does the other person want? What do I have to do to be acceptable? What do I have to do to be desired? That your own desires get lost in the shuffle. Is that something you've seen before too? Not really. I'm, well, I mean, I am not, I am on the opposite end. I'm not an introvert, but I do get shy. Mm. And especially when it comes to things like sex sometimes. 
Because, I mean, I guess there's that thought of, am I doing it right? Am I trying, what am I doing it for me? Am I doing it for her or him? Mm-hmm. I mean, I got a really good friend who's gay. And and we'll get into that question in a little bit. But he's been in his relationship for six years. Mm-hmm. And he's happy. And But one of the things I keep trying to tell him is you can't put all your eggs onto that relationship. Mm-hmm. Because yep. you'll be walking on eggshells, the both of you, and you're causing stress. Yeah, there's definitely something to be said for not not placing the responsibility for your fulfillment on your romantic or sexual partner. Like that is a great deal of pressure and also kind of setting you up for, for disappointment because no one person can be everything to somebody. And what you said just now too, I think is important because that points towards this other origin of shyness, which is also connected to this, you know, am I normal? Am I doing it right? Vibe, which is this focusing quite a lot more on the other person and externalizing the focus in your relationship. And I find that like a really good counter to that is curiosity. Mm. So if you find yourself wondering a lot, oh, am I doing it right? I would encourage to maybe instead think about what am I looking forward to experience here? What would I like to experience with my partner? I wonder what my partner would like to experience with me. And you can even have a conversation about that. Yeah. um, One of the questions I do want to ask you is in this day and age, how important is sex in a relationship? I think it's kind of timeless in a way. And I believe sex to be a very important part of relationships in terms of that intimacy and connection and pleasure and having that present in your relationships. Though, I think it's really important to point out there are also asexual people for whom sexual activity isn't that important. But what might still be very important is touch Uh, A lot of the asexual folks that I've worked with have been looking for relationships where they can have somebody who's kind of like a cuddle partner rather than a sexual partner. And I think that talks to a, a very deep desire for touch as one mode of communication that we use with close people who we trust. And at the same time, a lot of us are not asexual. And it's a beautiful thing. I think human sexuality Mm -hmm. is really powerful and wonderful. And the way that we access that in our society is through our romantic or sexual relationships, right? It's not like you can just walk up to anybody and be like, hey, you know, let's have sex right now. Though, I mean, to be fair, you can ask people maybe more than, than you would normally get from the social narrative. But what I mean to say here is that because sex isn't present in all of your relationships, the one where the ones where it is, it's definitely worth additional prioritization and care. Very interesting. Um, let me add on to that, though. But um, can a relationship withstand having no sex in it at all? Because I know there's times where you're just too shy to ask and you just don't do it and it just goes on and on without even bothering your partner saying hey do you want to have sex i mean so can a relationship withstand that no sex well my question there would be do you want it to if if it's something that's by mutual agreement if you've had a discussion with your partner and decided that you don't want sex to be present in your relationship when it's something that you genuinely both want. Yeah, absolutely. Those relationships certainly can last and be sustained. However, if what you're talking about is, and tell me if I've got this right. So you're talking about a scenario where two people are already in a relationship with each other of some sort where they're romantic partners. Have I got that right? Yeah. And so it's more a concern about, their 
being less sex than one or the other partner wants? Probably, yeah. Like, you're too shy to say, hey, listen, let's have sex. So you just don't bother asking. Well, in that case, I would say, you know, is it... (laughs) It sounds like in that case, the the person who's feeling a bit shy about asking does want to be having sex with their partner. And so can a relationship thrive when one or the other partner is always pushing down their desires or not speaking about what it is that they want? No, I don't think a relationship like that can thrive. And there, I would also become curious, has... Has this pattern emerged in the relationship or was it always that way? It would be the the next place I'd be looking to go with a client if they brought that up. You know, were you having sex in the beginning and then it it sort of stopped over time? And what happened around the time that it stopped, if that makes sense? Yeah, that does. I mean, and and that brings me to a really good question is, how do you know your sex life is getting boring? If either so, one of you are afraid to say it to each other, saying, hey, it's getting dull. How do you know within yourself, hey, something's not? So I think that would come down to what's the question you're asking yourself internally? So are you internally wondering, is this, is this boring? Then that might be a signal that, yeah, there's maybe desires that you're not expressing or something new you'd like to explore with your partner. And alternately, if you're wondering inside of yourself, hmm, does my partner think our sex life is boring? That says something slightly different to me, where maybe you're really satisfied with the sex life that you have with your partner, but you're kind of wondering, well, are they satisfied too? And that, again, I mean, I, some, of, <laughs> some of what I say here today will start to sound like I'm repeating myself, but that's in part because good communication is Mm -hmm. foundational to a wonderful sex life. That that might be a good moment to check in with your partner. If you notice you're starting to wonder quite often, uh, you know, does she think this is boring? Does he think this is boring? And, you know, it's a possibility. It's an opportunity for you to open up that space and conversation with your partner to say, hey, I'm curious, is there something that you'd like to try that we haven't tried before? Okay. And that brings me to another question is how, now this is something that my friend brought up is how do you deal with anxiety pre and during sex? I mean, he gets nervous even before and then it, I guess from what he's told me, it kind of carries on during. How do you deal with the anxiety? So in some ways, it'll be highly individual to the person who's having that experience. And at the same time, there's really often commonalities. So what my therapist once told me a long, long time ago is that anxiety is too much future and depression is too much past. So mm. it's when our mind is going somewhere other than the present moment. And that's what generates these emotional states. It's a really simplified view, but I think there's something telling about that. So thinking about your friend who's feeling anxious in the lead up to having sex and even while having sex uh, with their partner, that's probably going to be because they're up here most of the time. So they're running scenarios or, oh, you know, I wonder, do I look good right now? Am I doing this right? Am I sexy enough? Are they happy with me? Which is kind of extrapolating out outside and to another time other than this moment right here. And, you know, again, on this theme of I might repeat myself a little bit, one of the best counters for anxiety in a sexual context is curiosity, is coming, being really curious about about your partner. Because I think one thing that can happen too, especially in relationships that uh, are are relationships that have been established for a while, right? Where you've not just met each other and just gotten into each other, is we can start to 
take our partners for granted to an extent, like, okay, I know this person, I know how they are, I know what they like in bed. And sure, you've got some data. And at the same time, I would encourage you not to make the mistake that you've got a conclusive view of who your partner is, because just like you, they're a dynamic person, they're different from day to day, and they're always changing as they go through their lives. So really, I would invite you, if, if this sounds a bit like you, if you've got some anxiety in these situations, to show up instead with a question like, you know, what would you like to do today? You know, how would you like to be touched is a really great question a lot of the time. Or what would you like to experience? And getting curious for yourself too, like, hey, how would I like to be touched today? You know, is this something I can mm -hmm. ask my partner about? Or, hey, like, I, I wonder if, you know, we could, like, cuddle more or if we could have the lights on or if we could do, you know, like, just getting curious about your own desire, too. And I'm just, is there anything else I want to say about anxiety at this point? Yeah, it's, it's. Curiosity is surprisingly effective the more you tap into a curious mindset about sex. That makes sense. I mean, there are, so, I guess, so many questions here. Um, how do you convey to your partner that you want to try something new and, or, and sexualize without so, like, scaring the crap out of them? So the best way to do this is to have a close-on conversation outside of the bedroom. It's, I find a lot of times when folks go to approach their partner with a new idea about something they'd like to try when it comes to sex, that a lot of times they wait until, you know, clothes are already off, you're in the bedroom, you're already moving towards sex. And then at that moment saying, hey, would you like to try X? Which can really, you know, create a little bit of attention or pressure for the other person or kind of throw them off from the moment because now they're having to go from that presence in in the body in the here and now to up in their mind like ah would i like to try that oh geez i don't know right now i'm just really aroused and i want to i want to have sex so instead the way i encourage clients to go about these conversations is to say to your partner hey have you got 15 minutes to talk about our sex life? I've had a couple of, you know, I've got a couple of things I'm interested in, in trying out maybe, and I'd like to see, you know, are you also interested? And what I would suggest is, of course, you know, you want it to be just you and your partner when you ask them that. So it's, it's not a great idea to say, hey, have you got 15 minutes to talk about this when you're, you know, when there are other people around and, you know, a kitchen table conversation is sometimes a nice way to do this. Another resource I'd wanted to point your listeners towards is if you're not exactly sure or you've got an idea that you'd like to maybe try something new with your partner, but you don't know what, there's a really great tool that's free online. It's called Mojo Upgrade. And if you visit mojoupgrade.com, both you and your partner complete like a questionnaire about activities you'd be interested in trying. And at the end, it produces a report that only shows the answers that you both marked yes to. And that can be a great starting point for saying, oh, okay, so you'd like me to do a strip tease for you. And that's something I'd like to do for you. Like, shall we try that? It can really spark off conversations and it's great because you're only seeing on that list the things that you both said, yes, I'd, I'd be interested in trying this. So I, I throw that in there as a little tidbit, as a great way to have one of these conversations where you could even say, hey, have you got 15 minutes to talk about our sex life? I heard about this great thing called Mojo Upgrade, and I would love for us to do it together. And uh, the second part of this, so if your partner says, oh, no, I'm kind of busy right now. My suggestion then is to say, 
Thank you. No worries. Could we take a quick look at our calendar and schedule this in at a time that's less busy for you? So it's not that you, you know, completely drop it and never ask again. It's more they've just told you no for right now for any number of reasons. So just ask for, you know, can we set up a time that's that's actually a bit more relaxed for both of us? And that tends to tends to help quite a lot. Very interesting. Um one, I'm pretty sure you get this question a lot, especially from introverts and those on the spectrum and ADHD is, how do they know their first time is good with their partner? How do they know their, with, even if their partner doesn't tell them, how do they know themselves that it's good and that so, they did it right? I mean, for, it's sometimes disappointing to hear that, like, in general, there's no objective measurement for like, this has been objectively good sex, or this has been objectively bad sex. It, it kind of comes down again to, to if you find yourself asking this question based on your experience, or if you're asking because you're worried about what your partner thinks, which sounds like the scenario that you mapped out just now. And in general, Good sex tends to be made from curiosity, enthusiasm, good communication, sexual autonomy. So each person being there as autonomous beings driving and directing their own experience of sex, as well as pleasure. So I just want to clear it up right now, right? Good sex can last for five minutes. Good sex can last for five hours. Good sex can involve penetration or good sex cannot involve penetration. It, it really comes down to what you're creating together with your partner. I think that's a useful thing to bring up too, that sex isn't really something you have. It's something you make. It's something you collaborate on. And it's not really something you get from somebody. It's something you make together. And it might seem like semantics, right, to be picking at these words, though I do actually think that's really important because mm -hmm. it says something about how you're approaching sex. And this collaborative, creative, curious mindset is part of what makes for really awesome sex. So one question you can ask yourself if you're wondering about this is, when I left this sexual encounter, when the sexual encounter finished, did I want more or did I feel like I got too much? Because that can kind of point towards, were you having an experience where you were driving it, where you were present, where you were experiencing pleasure, or were you having an experience where you were in your mind really anxious the entire time? Because I have heard that from folks that sometimes I finish having sex and I just feel like, oh, thank goodness that's over. Wow. And if that's the way that you're feeling about it, that's you're maybe a signal. Into it. Well, that, that, that maybe you got too, too much of an experience you weren't really enjoying having. And, and that also points towards, like, just to make it clear, that's not anything necessarily to do with your partner, right? If if it's something that's going on internally in this, in this space of wondering, am I good enough? Am I doing this well enough? The, the other thing that I would encourage you to do is really to not place a lot of pressure on your partner to give a status report. And I want to point this out because I think a lot of people ask from a really genuine place of, you know, I want you to be experiencing pleasure when we have sex together. So I want to check in, you know, did you orgasm? How was that for you? The, where that can start to create pressure for your partner is if they start to think, oh, wow, okay, so I'm expected to orgasm. Oh, I better orgasm. And then what you can wind up with is two people who are up in their heads worrying and not in their bodies experiencing mm -hmm. pleasure. So instead, you could ask questions like, so when I was going down on you, when I used a little bit more pressure with my tongue, how did that feel? Would you like me to do that again in the future? It's a subtle shift, but what that does is it focuses to 
asking about the process rather than focusing on the outcome. And that is sort of, it's one of the secrets that unlocks everything when it comes to sex is if you can be focused more on the process that you're in together with your partner rather than needing to quote unquote achieve a specific outcome that can really diffuse a lot of the anxiety and tension and worry that comes up for a lot of people Mm -hmm. during sex. Like also think about this, right? Your partner is very likely experiencing some similar worries to yours. They're not going to be exactly the same, right? But most people have these sorts of worries at some level when it comes to sex. So, you know, it's, you're doing both yourself and them a favor if you can start to shift your mindset to process rather than outcome. Okay. Very interesting. Um, I know I read somewhere where Pete, this one in this article, this girl is saying that when she's having sex with her partner, she needs to focus on something other than her partner. Now, mm-hmm. how do you go about doing that without freaking your partner out? Like, if you're staring off into some other direction instead of looking at them in the face. So this was, this is an interesting one. So in that example, do you know what that person was focusing on when you read it? I think like a teddy bear or something on, the, on her desk or something like that. She was looking at focusing on something other than her partner so she can keep focus. So that one is, it's interesting to me because I would become very curious to know a little bit more about what's, what that focus on the teddy bear in that instance gives her. So is it, is it a case of feeling overstimulation and their partner not knowing how to, how to work with that in a sexual context? Because to me, then that would sound like actually what you would need to do is have a conversation with your partner about, you know, how, how your sensory perception works. Mm-hmm. Uh, assuming that this person is an Aspie that you're speaking about, this is yeah, this probably is all... one of the most common issues I see coming up with clients who, who are Aspies who are dating neurotypical people who don't understand the overwhelming touch. I mean, that leads to the other question I have is how do I convey to my partner that I have sensory issues about being touched without freaking them out thinking, Oh great. Now I can't make love to you or have sex with you without overwhelming you. How do you approach that in the conversation? So one of the greatest gifts uh, that I came across Um, Because in addition to working with people on the spectrum, I've also dated a lot of people on the spectrum. And in, in my experience as a neurotypical person in a relationship with somebody who was an Aspie, there's this great article called A Mind Body Approach to Asperger's, which is like the translation, it's like the Rosetta Stone for folks on the spectrum and neurotypical people. It's a really beautiful article that helps to explain both to to Aspies why neurotypical people might react in certain ways about certain things and also to neurotypical people about what the lived experience is like for folks with Asperger's. And in terms of talking to your partner about sensory issues, you may find that actually there is a common language you can use to talk about this. While your partner might not have touch-based triggers, a lot of people have word-based triggers. Mm. So something that can crop up and happen is maybe maybe somebody has a really strong trigger towards being called a slut during sex. And if somebody were to say that to them, oh, it would be like a shutdown. It would be really unpleasant. It might provoke a lot of really uncomfortable sensation inside of the body. And most people have have some frame of reference for what feeling totally overwhelmed is like. 
So bridging that gap and talking about touch potentially as a trigger, and then also sharing about for you the type of touch that you like, that's, that's part of where for anybody who's an Aspie and moving into setting up you know, a relationship with somebody, the more you're able to set a precedent for communication in your relationship, the much better relationship you're going to have. Because here you could say something like, when I, um, I really like to be touched with, you know, firm pressure where your hand's not moving very much. For me, that's really pleasurable. How do you like to be touched? And to have that conversation, I know for some folks, there's certain types of touch, which is really triggering, like very light touch on the back of the neck, which I think a lot of people who watch... I think a lot of people who watch Hollywood films have this vision of, oh, you know, caressing a neck is mm. a very sexy thing to do. And if you don't share that with your partner, they'll not necessarily be any the wiser. So having a conversation about it ahead of time will freak them out way less than being in a sexual moment with you and and you becoming triggered and having that that really strong response to sensory overload that, oh, when, when you're the neurotypical person who's done that because you didn't know about it, it feels terrible because we're, when you are expecting your touch to be received in a way that's pleasurable and the other person is like, oh, whoa, 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 you know, no. And where you can see that it's, it's caused distress, your partner doesn't want to do that to you. They don't want you to be distressed. So having that conversation around triggers, I think that is one way to find a common language that, you know, a trigger for me is being touched on the back of the neck. Please don't do it. Just like a trigger for me might be being called slut. Please don't do it. Mm -hmm. Does that help? Yeah, that does. I mean, that probably explains a lot to a lot of people because I'm pretty sure there are people who are very sensory um, with touch because mm -hmm. I've read a lot of articles where people just don't like to be touched. Like they, that's why they have tagless clothing because the feeling of that tag irritating their neck and their body creates a, a stimulation that could build up to create a meltdown. What's really interesting, um, just to volley off of that is, and I know it's different for each individual, though I've noticed that there's a pattern that that kind of very light touch, like a tag brushing your skin or a very light caress can be that whoa, very overstimulating, unpleasant, like somebody brushing behind your back in, mm -hmm. in a bar too is one that I've heard as really overstimulating and unpleasant. And at the same time, a lot of those same people really like firm touch that's not moving. So I know a lot of my Aspie friends really love weighted blankets as, yeah, as something that, that yeah, that is providing that pressure. And I've noticed, and I don't know if this will be the same everywhere, in a number of BDSM communities I've been a part of, there have been quite a few Aspies there too. Huh. I think in part because like negotiation and really clear communication is part of what happens in BDSM. And also because there is an openness to a variety of types of touch, including like much more solid or like heavily pressured touch and, and a chance to explore different touch, commun um, not communication, but sensations as it were in a, in a safer environment where everybody is, is already in this practice of talking about what they like, what they don't like. I don't know if that's the same in, in the U S but that's what I've noticed here in Europe anyway. All right. Um, one of the, like I said, my friend had a couple of questions and one of them he brought to me was, how do you deal with fears such as, is my boyfriend cheating on me or my girlfriend? I mean, he's been in this relationship with his boyfriend for six years and he's still got this fear slash jealousy in his head that, is he going to cheat on me? 
And I keep trying to tell him, you've been in the relationship for six years. You're an ASB. He's an NT. You both need each other. He's not going to cheat on you, but he still has this fear of, is he? Mm. So I find that usually concerns about infidelity, if there's not already a history of infidelity in a relationship, right? So assuming that there isn't one, typically I see it connected to two things a lot of the time. One, and I I find this is particularly common in in the men that I work with, uh, it can stem from a concern that you're not desirable. So that somehow on some level, you don't entirely believe that somebody would see you that way or want you sexually. And if this is what's going on, the way to address that right at the root is to start cultivating desire for yourself and to show yourself desire regularly that's independent of any other person. I call this dating yourself. Mm. And Mm -hmm. that regular practice of showing yourself that you're desirable can sometimes take these concerns away all on their own. And most of the rest of the time, a fear around cheating can sometimes relate to feeling unable to set boundaries in a relationship. So you might worry about becoming a doormat or someone taking advantage of you. Because ultimately, remember, like, your partner may cheat on you. Like, you can't actually control their behavior. All you can control is your response. I, I think there's this idea sometimes among some folks that like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set boundaries for my partner. Nah, like, boundaries are for you. They're what will you do in a certain scenario. So... In this case, what will you do if a partner cheats on you? So would that mean the end of the relationship for you or something else? Those responses are for you to decide. And as always, you know, just to, to sound like me here, have a, have a conversation about it. I, I find a lot of people make assumptions in relationships with never even talking about it or making it explicit. You know, it would be great if everybody in the beginning of their relationships had a conversation with their partner about what does cheating mean to you? Because it means different things to different people. Mm-hmm. You know, does, does watching porn count as cheating? Does, I've read that. <laughs> yeah. Somewhere. Or does, a lot of people think, hey, he's watching porn or she's watching porn. Is, are they cheating on me? But am I not satisfying them or... Do I need to do more because they're watching this to get their fix? And I mean, cheating is whatever you and your partner decide it is. Like, again, there's not a set rubric for, you know, an objective measure of what counts as cheating. Like, remember, there are many people, for example, who are in polyamorous relationships where they do have sex with other people. You know, and, and then their partners have sex with other people too. And this is all done consensually where everybody is agreeing to this arrangement. So in that case, that's not cheating. And cheating could mean something else like hiding something from your partner or you know, not being upfront about something. That kind of betrayal of trust, which doesn't necessarily have to relate to whether or not you're having sex with other people. Like that's, you know, for folks that are in monogamous relationships, that might, that might count as cheating if you go and have sex with somebody else. The only way you're going to find out is by talking to your partner about it, you know, and does sex with, um, you know, maybe having sex or forming an emotional relationship with someone else counts as cheating, but having sex with sex workers doesn't if you've Mm -hmm. previously agreed that that's okay in your relationship. There can be so many variations on this theme and there's no one single right way you get to decide what's right for, for you and your partner and what you both mutually agree to. So I think that approach of seeing it as an agreement rather than as an assumption about the supposed right way to do things can help a lot and create a lot of relief because maybe maybe your friend in this case, maybe they've never had a conversation like this. And, 
you know, maybe, maybe for, for him, you know, flirting with other people counts as cheating, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, you've got to explore and explicitly agree on this with your partner. I mean, that brings me up to another good question. When is the right time to talk to your partner about sex? I mean, I'm, go on. Before you have it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seriously, I think the world would be so different if we all had the habit of talking about sex before sex. And I've got a resource, which I'm happy to provide the links to that you can share with listeners in the the show notes. It's basically my ultimate guide to talking about sex before sex. And again, like this is another one of those clothing on conversations so that you're able to check in on certain things like what would us having sex together mean to you? And, you know, like uh, talking about, STI testing history and risk um, preferences when it comes to barrier methods of protection or talking about relationship configurations, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you're in a a poly relationship or if you're just casually dating several people, like that's important to let the other person know so that they're coming to the encounter with informed consent, right? Right. And also it's your opportunity to talk about these triggers, especially if you've got some of these sensory triggers, you totally want to talk about that before you have sex. And I'll tell you something, right? It's always going to be a little bit awkward to do this. And that's in part because it's not within the cultural narrative to talk about sex before sex. Part of how we change that is by being the change we want to see in the world And it's one of those things where it's okay to do it imperfectly and it's okay if you forget something because in my guide, I mentioned several things that are really good to include in like your safer sex talk before you have sex. Mm -hmm. But if you don't hit all of them, you know what, like what counts is that you try and, and, and this is part of setting that precedent to have open communication be at the foundation of your relationship. So, yeah, the, the best time to talk about sex is before you have it. All right. Well, this leads to an interesting question. Um, in this day and age, is it okay to stay a virgin? So, yes, it is. And this is more common than a lot of people think. And I know it's something that can cause a great deal of worry for people, regardless of their gender or orientation. Um, There are many folks that are still virgins in their 20s, in their 30s, in their 40s, in their 50s and beyond. And it's never too late to get started having partner sex if you want to. And I think there's something really profound here because regardless of how much partner sex you have or haven't had in your life, anytime you're having sex with somebody new for the first time, you're both basically virgins because you've never had sex with each other before. And everybody is different when it comes to what they like, how they like to be touched, what's a turn on for them. So coming to encounters with that open-mindedness and again that curiosity rather than I don't know coming with a script of hey this is what works when it comes to sex so I'm just going to do that thing it's actually really refreshing it's wonderful to have partners that don't make those assumptions about what you're going to like and instead you know go on a journey of exploration with you plus like for most people. So if you've, if you've never had sex before with, with a partner and you're listening to this podcast, I will point out that very much of the time, the first time you have sex with somebody new, it definitely does have that awkwardness to it still. And I think there's this myth or this idea that, ah, once I finally have partner sex, then I'll know what I'm doing and I won't be anxious anymore. I won't worry anymore. And I want to just kind of normalize the fact that the first time two bodies 
like are figuring out how to have sex with each other, it can get a bit weird, right? Because, you know, you're different heights and there's different things. And sometimes stuff doesn't line up the way that it might have done in the past or the way that you think it will. And it's okay to, to, to laugh a little bit and have a sense of humor about it, right? It's the other thing, I think there's all of this imagery we get given about sex and relationships, and especially when it comes to Aspies, right, where you spend time observing social reality and building mental models to know how to navigate different terrain. If you've spent a lot of time watching films with romantic scenes, you'll have been given this model and this narrative that actually doesn't work very well in real life scenarios. It works great for the directors and it works great (laughs) on camera. But when it comes to actually being together with somebody, those kind of approaches will generally not get you what you want. And there, you know, there's all of this smoothness and nothing is ever awkward and nobody is ever laughing. And I don't know, you're never hearing body farts when two (laughs) chests suck together. You know, that stuff happens, right? We're human beings and human bodies. So I hope that that's helpful and, and an encouragement that, you know, it's, it's really okay. And it's totally up to you whether you want to have sex or not, you get to make that choice. I mean, that kind of leads me to a really good question is for those out there, how do you know the difference between sex and making love? I mean, so many people watch the movies and they think, Oh, that's what sex is. Or, Oh, that's what making love is. Where is there that line that says one is different than the other? It's very subjective. It's kind of what you decide it to be and what language you choose to use when you describe having sex. I mean, I say that as kind of a catch-all term, but you might describe sex as fucking. You might describe sex as making love. You might have a code word with your partner that, you know, we're going to, you know, we're going to have adult time now you know, the special cuddles, I've heard people call it. It's, it's, it's whatever you decide it is. Like there's, again, there's no objective standard for, you know, this over here in this bucket is making love and this over here in this bucket is fucking. It's, it's kind of, again, up to you. And maybe it could be both at the same time. Maybe it's making love because this is a person that, you love and you've decided when you have sex with someone you love that for you that counts as making love and maybe it's also fucking because you're having like quite energetic sex with each other and for you that's how you classify quite energetic sex so it could be both why not all right um here's a really good question is um how do i my friend asked me this how do you stop yourself from overthinking before sex like am i good enough am i gonna make him happy do I satisfy him or her? I mean, that's, I'm pretty sure you hear that a lot with Aspies is because we tend to overthink things. Yeah. And, and here, I think we've in various ways covered some of this terrain that curiosity, like, and, and the reason I keep focusing on curiosity a lot here in particular is among the folks that, among the Aspies that I know, yeah, Curiosity is a really strong attribute a lot of the time. So tapping into that, especially if you're a naturally curious person, is one of the fastest ways to start moving out of overthinking. Also that focus on process instead of outcome. So instead of, you know, am I doing it right? Rather, what are you enjoying? Would you like me to keep doing this? Would you like to try something else? Like focusing on like concretely, what, what are we doing here together? And what would you like to try rather than, am I meeting in a, you know, some standard of goodness? Have I been a sufficient lover today? If you're coming with that point of view, that is going to generate overthinking, right? Because Mm -hmm. it's, it's focusing on how do I measure up, focusing on rather than focusing on what's happening here and now, what am I creating here and now with my partner? And then also, right, 
pleasure. So when you're actually having sex with somebody, when you're in a sexual moment, and if you feel your, your mind starting to spin up, then take a moment and focus on what you're feeling in your body. So maybe your partner is touching you in a way that feels really good, or maybe you're experiencing a lot of genital pleasure. To bring your attention and really just focus on those pleasurable sensations. And you can even, if your mind is really spinning up, you could even say to yourself inside of your mind, you know, I'm going to focus on what feels good or I'm going to focus on how my penis feels right now. Like you can tell yourself that inside of your mind. You can tell your mind that and then do that and focus there. It's kind of like in the scenario before where you were saying about people focusing on other things outside of themselves, which led me to asking about, well, are they being touched in a way they don't like? Because that was something that came to my mind is when you are being touched in a way that you do like, focusing on just that sensation of touch or that pleasure is part of what can help to help your mind to just go, oh, okay, so it's okay. I don't have to think anymore right now. Like right now, like the focus is on the pleasure rather than on the mind. Does that make sense? That does. And then that with the last question is, how do you deal with the non-filter issues when on having sex with, when you're without offending your partner? And you and I'm pretty sure you've experienced that with us Aspies is we have no filter. So we're eventually going to say something that will offend somebody. And how do we stop that during sex? So during sex itself, it kind of depends how that's going to manifest. Because what I've seen is some, some folks can get really nonverbal during sex. It's like some other part takes over. And so there's way less talking that maybe it's just a lot of quiet. And then some people can go in the other direction where they're wanting to just talk about everything that's going on and doing a play-by-play. And I would say if you're in that second camp, one thing that you could do would be to take a look at verbalization without words. So instead of expressing that energy out through words while you're actually having sex itself, you could try out, you know, moaning, sighing, groaning, like making noise, but making the decision, okay, I'm going to make noise, but I'm not going to use words. Apart from like, if your partner says, are you okay? then you can say, yes, I'm okay. Or if you want to check in with them because something has concerned you, of course, you could use your words in that case. But if you're worried about something slipping out that could be offensive, that that trick of going to non-word vocalizations is a pretty good hack for that. Mm -hmm. And if especially if your partner likes hearing that, likes hearing your pleasure, but without words, because this is something I've heard from Aspies sometimes as well too, that actually I don't want there to be too much talking during sex because it takes me out of the moment. But I do like knowing my partner is enjoying it. So I like when they moan or sigh or groan or otherwise make noise. So I don't know. Just to sound like uh, not a broken record, but just a good advice giver. It's a great thing to have a conversation about, too. You know, you might be surprised to to find that your partner finds it really, really hot if you're making those kind of sounds. Anyways, Sarah, thank you so much for being on the show. I'm sure you have helped so many people out there with so many questions about sex. Reed, it has been absolutely delightful. I I was really pleased to learn about this podcast in the first place, and I've been sharing it with several people. So thank you, too, for creating the space to talk about issues that matter to Aspies and for having me here today to, to share with everybody. And it, it's been a delight to answer these questions that you had. Sure. Also, I mean, while you're sharing the podcast, you might as well share my blog, which is aspergerzone.com which is more about my experiences traveling and my advice 
Excellent. Yeah, I think I have been linking to your blog where you also link to your podcast episodes. Yeah. So yeah, that's been a one-stop shop. So I, I appreciate that. Okay. Well, thank you so, so much for being on the show. It's been a pleasure talking with you. It has been a pleasure talking with you too. And is it all right if I let everybody know where they can come to find out more about me or to learn more about? Yeah, I'm the host of the Sexual Craftsmanship podcast. So if you have a search on your podcast player of choice or on YouTube for Sexual Craftsmanship, you can find all of the episodes there. And you can also check out my website, which is at sexualcraftsmanship.com. And I'm very open to hearing from folks and taking suggestions for episodes. So if there's something you want to hear about, please feel free to reach out. And I also work with individuals one-on-one. So if there's something you'd like assistance with, you know, let me know. And we can see if it's something I could help you with too. Okay, mom. Well, it's been such a pleasure. And um, let's keep in touch with each other. Yes, please, Reed. I would be delighted to come back again. And I'll, I'll have a think if there's something that would make for a great sexual craftsmanship episode, too. I always love inviting folks to come on over to, to my house, too. We live on board.